Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by eplindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from, while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, And any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable, hosted by Kevin DeVries, on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show.
What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast. Today is Tuesday. It is the 16th of January. We are motoring through January. Getting all that bit closer to semi-decent weather. Wouldn't call it good weather ever where I live, but semi-decent. Um, we have football tonight. Domestic football action. FA Cup third round replays. We have five of them tonight. So Wolves take on Brentford at Molyneux in a 7.30 kickoff. They played out a 1-1 draw in their initial third round game. Zhao Gomes was sent off after nine minutes. And Wolves played the better part of a full 90 when you include stoppage time with 10 men and still came away with a draw. Which says a lot about where Brentford are right now. I think Wolves will win this game. They've been pretty good at home this season. Now, they're generally better against the top clubs for whatever reason, I assume, because they have less of the ball. But in that game against Brentford, they only had about 26, 27% of the ball, which suits them. And they've got Pedro Neto back as well. So I'd expect to see him and Cunha in tandem tonight, which will be very problematic for... Brentford to try and deal with them. Picking Wolves to win there. Uh, Bolton play Luton. The rest of the games are 7.45. That's the Wolves-Brentford's only 7.30 kickoff. Bolton against Luton. They played out a very, very dull nil-nil draw in their initial game. You'd have to fancy Luton. Bolton, to their credit, they're doing very well. I believe they are... Second? No, they've dropped to fourth in League One, but they're only two points off top, and they do have three games in hand on top spot Portsmouth. They have two games in hand on Peterborough and Derby, who are the other teams above, above them. So Bolton should, should be top of the league quite soon. One win from their three games in hand on Portsmouth and they'll be top. And they'll still have two games in hand on Pompey, a game in hand on the Posh and a game in hand on Derby. So going very well. And obviously Luton might just be a bit more focused on the Premier League and trying to survive. But you'd still fancy Luton as a Premier League team. Uh, Birmingham City against Hull City. They played out a 1-1 draw. Last time out, Birmingham went one up, but Matty Jacobs scored a late equaliser for Hull. Uh, this game obviously now being played at St Andrews. will pick Birmingham to win, even though Hull are the better team. Hull currently ninth in the championship, whereas Brom down in 20th after the disastrous Wayne Rooney shenanigans. Uh, Eastley against Newport County. Now... Manchester United fans, isn't it? They're playing United next, I believe. Yeah, I believe they're playing United. I'll have to get the draw up. Uh, I think, oh. I believe it's United that drew Newport or Eastleigh, which, if I'm right, is a huge draw for either of those teams. Yeah, Newport or Eastleigh playing host to Manchester United. Um, 
last time out, these sides played a 1-1 draw. Eastley had a man sent off after 38 minutes, went one behind, but fought back and got themselves a draw. Fair to say this is the biggest and most important game that either of these teams are going to play for many years. Because, you know, you look at Newport, they're currently 17th in League Two. And Eastley, obviously, are a non-league club. Uh, They're 11th in the National League. So, neither is... The only game that would be bigger for either club would be for Newport if it was a game to stay in in the Football League or for Eastleigh if it was a game to gain promotion to the Football League. But this is an opportunity to have Manchester United come to your home ground in the FA Cup, a game that will... I think it's been announced, will be televised. So that's a huge opportunity and a massive money-making opportunity. Years ago, Eastleigh, and I don't know if it can still happen. I should probably check that out. Years ago, what would have happened here is if, if either of these teams win this game, they would have requested to play the game at Old Trafford. They would count as the home team they would pay a fee to Manchester United for basically renting the stadium. But United's fans would obviously be the vast majority there, but they would get a much bigger crowd than they will at their home ground because Old Trafford holds whatever, 80,000, and their home grounds will hold, you know, three or five or whatever it is. Um, So... Eastleys holds five, two and a half thousand seated, so not not great. Uh, and Rodney Parade, which is the home ground of Newport, holds under eight thousand. So they're not going to get huge gates in, but they will get TV money. So that will be a big, big help. Um, I should point out actually that the winner of Hull and Birmingham will travel to Leicester in the fourth round. The winner of Luton or Bolton will take on the winner of Crystal Palace or Everton. And the winner of Brentford or Wolves goes to West Brom. And they've they've announced that West West Brom versus either of those teams will be televised. They are banking massively on that being Wolves and it being a black country derby. Because no one wants to watch West Brom against Brentford. Nobody wants to watch that. Last game tonight, then, is Bristol City versus West Ham United. Again, that was a 1-1 draw. Jared Bone scored scored early. Uh, Tommy Conway got a second-half equaliser for Bristol. Um, The winner of this one... will host either Nottingham Forest or Blackpool. So we've got five games tonight, and then we've got three tomorrow night. Blackpool Forest, Bristol against Norwich. Winner of that one plays Liverpool and Everton Crystal Palace. So it's it's good. We've got we've got real football to watch, real domestic football. There's obviously other football going on. And in part two, we're going to talk a bit about AFCON and what's happened so far, Asian Cup and what's happened so far. But 
in part one here, we're going to focus on domestic football. <clears throat> and for the first time in a month, six weeks, we'll take a run down the divisions. Uh, we'll just today, for today, we'll just look at the Championship, League One, League Two, and the National League. And tomorrow, we'll take a look at... Uh, tomorrow's Nostalgia Day. Hmm. We'll fit it in. Tomorrow, we'll fit in a look around Europe, a quick catch-up around Europe. Um, but yeah, so FA Cup games tonight, looking forward to those. On to the Championship then. So if you haven't been paying attention, Leicester City are seven points clear at the top of the Championship. At the weekend, they were beaten 3-1 by Coventry. A little bit of bad fortune. Now, Coventry played very well. You wouldn't deny them their win. But Leicester went 1-0 up through Kieran Dewsbury Hall. Probably should have been 2-0 up. And then Abdul Fatawa got himself sent off in stoppage time at the end of the first half. And Leicester hung on to their lead up until the 79th minute when Callum O'Hare scored. Milan Vanuik scored on on 88 and then O'Hare scored again on 94. The 10-man Leicester did cling on to that lead. Coventry battered them second half, but I do feel like Leicester probably would have won the game had it stayed at 11 v 11 because they were the better team first half without question. Ipswich are second in the league. They have 58 points. So like I said, seven behind Leicester. They had a bit of a poor run, but got themselves back on track at the weekend. They beat Sunderland 2-1 at home. Uh, Caden Jackson and Connor Chaplin, after they'd gone 1-0 down to a Jack Clark goal. Uh, third in the league, Southampton, second of the relegated teams. They have found form of late. They had a bit of a slow start, but they're now starting to play very, very well. They hammered Sheffield Wednesday 4-0. Jay Adams Adam Armstrong, Ryan Frazier, and Sekou Mara with the goals in that one. And then we get Leeds. So that's all three recently relegated teams in the top four. Uh, Leeds at the weekend went to Cardiff. Patrick Bamford scored the spawniest goal you'll ever see. Dan James scored a tap-in. And then Jorginho Ruter got a late goal. All three assists in that one. I don't know. I don't think he got an assist for the first one, but Cres- uh, Crescencio Somerville made all three goals uh, as part of a very good performance. Leeds look good going forward. I have to say, I think they look better with Joel Perot in the team as opposed to Bamford. But Bamford's obviously an important player for them as well. They've also got like Nanto to come off the bench, so they've got good options. Uh, fifth in the league at the moment is West Brom now. There's a seven-point gap from Leicester to Ipswich, three points from Ipswich to Southampton, four points from Southampton to Leeds. Then it's a six-point gap to West Brom, and then a five-point gap to Coventry, who really have found form after a very slow start to the season. Then it's Sunderland, level on points with Coventry, 40 points. 
Then Watford, they're on 39. Hull City, also 39. Middlesbrough, also 39. So 6 to 10, separated by one point. And obviously, sixth is the cutoff. Sixth is the last playoff spot. So the season ended today. We'd have Leicester and Ipswich coming up. We'd have Southampton against Coventry, Leeds against West Brom. But it's very, very tight from six to ten. And even Norwich and Preston are two points behind uh, Coventry. So six to 12 is two points. Then you've got Cardiff in 13th, then Bristol City, who I'd love to see in the Premier League because Bristol's a great city. And it's definitely the biggest city in England that hasn't yet had a Premier League team. And I would go as far as to argue that Bristol City are the biggest club not to have played in the Premier League. I mean, you could make a case for Millwall. But if you look at the the championship, Leicester have been up, obviously. Ipswich have been up. Obviously, Southampton and Leeds, West Brom, Coventry. A lot of people won't remember it because it's in the 90s, but Coventry were in the Premier League. Sunderland have obviously been up. Watford are up and down consistently. Hull have been up a couple of times. Borough have been up a couple of times. Norwich have been up a bunch of times. I would say Bristol City is a bigger club than Preston. Preston definitely more important club historically. I think Bristol City is probably a bigger club now. It's definitely, it's definitely a, an argument. <clears throat> if we want to give the benefit to the team with the history, we'll say Preston. They haven't been in the Premier League. Cardiff have, Bristol haven't, Swansea have, Millwall have not, Stoke have, they're sitting 17th. So yeah, Swansea 15th, Millwall 16th, Stoke 17th. 18th is former Premier League winning Blackburn Rovers. 19th is Plymouth Argyle. They've never been in the Premier League. Birmingham are 20th. They have. Uh, Huddersfield are 21st. They have. Sheffield United are 22nd. They have. And Rotherham are bottom and they have not. Uh, nor are they likely to be. They they will definitely be in League One next season. It does look like Sheffield Wednesday and QPR will join them as things stand because Huddersfield have a four-point gap from from the relegation zone. But there's still a lot of football to play. 19 games. It wouldn't take much for QPR or Sheffield Wednesday, especially Sheffield Wednesday, who have got their act together in the last couple of months. They started the season, you'll remember, dreadfully. But they have gotten their act together and turned their season around quite significantly it probably won't be enough to save them but I'd love I'd love to see them back in the Premier League I want to see all these clubs back in the Premier League Sheffield Wednesday won none of their first 13 games and only one of their first 17 games after 17 games they had six points and in the 10 games since they have five wins and a draw So 16 points. If they can repeat that 10-game cycle, they will get themselves out of the mess. Without question, they will get themselves out of the mess. And there's some good results in there as well. There's a draw against Leicester. 
Does a win over Preston away from home? Does a good win over Hull? They've got a tough enough run coming up, though, with Coventry City, then Watford. But then they get Huddersfield and Birmingham, both of whom are in that relegation kind of region. So wins there would be huge. Defeats there would be catastrophic, though. Um, Leicester will be up, no question. <clears throat> Southampton are the ones trending towards the second automatic spot. Then the playoffs have become very interesting. Very, very interesting. I think you would favour Leeds. It would be, wouldn't it be dreadfully boring, though, if the three teams who got promoted go straight back down and the three teams who got relegated come straight back up? Like, to me, that's just really boring. I'd love to have Coventry back. Of, of all the teams in the championship, Coventry are the one I would like back the most of the ones that have been in the Premier League and been relegated at whatever point. They're the ones I'd like back the most. We've gotten Leeds back in recent years. We've obviously got Forrest back now. Coventry and Sheffield Wednesday are the two I want back most. There's no chance Wednesday are getting promoted anytime soon. Relegation looks a bit more likely. And, and you know what's even worse about this? is last season, both Sheffield clubs got promoted. And this season, we might see them both get relegated. So we might not even get a Sheffield derby next year. At least if the Blades came down and the Owls stayed in the division, we'd get the derby, which is always a, always a good derby. It's a great derby to go to. If you live near Sheffield, within a couple of hours drive, and you can get yourself a ticket to a Sheffield derby, Definitely go and do that. Definitely go and do that. It is a cracking atmosphere. Good city full of full of good salt of the earth people. Um, tough city. Tough city. Been through some shit. Um, right, that is where we stand with the championship. Now let's check in on our friends in League One. So, most recent round of games, uh, Charlton 1, Peterborough 2, Northampton 1, Wigan 1, Barnsley 2, Bristol Rovers 1, Reading versus Port Vale was suspended, Shrewsbury 0, Stevenage 1, Wickham 1, Lincoln City 1, Portsmouth 0, Leighton Orient 3, Portsmouth top of the league, losing at home 3-0, Blackpool 2, Exeter 0, Carlisle 1, Oxford 3, Derby County 3, Burton Albion 2, and Cambridge 2, Fleetwood 1. We do have a game in League 1 tonight, which is Barnsley at home to Carlisle. Um, unlike the championship where everybody has played 27 games, this division is a bit of a mess for games played. We've got teams with 24, 25, 26, and 27 games played. So Pompey are top, like I said earlier. Uh, 53 points from 27 games. Then it's Peterborough, 52 points from 26. Then Derby, 52 from 26. And they've got the exact same goal difference, plus 24. Peterborough have, conced have scored two more, but Derby have conceded two less. Then it's Bolton, who right now you would make favourites to top the league. 51 points, but only 24 games played. 
Then Oxford United, 49 from 26. Barnsley, 46 from 25. Stevenage, 46 from 26. Blackpool, 42 from 27. Northampton Town, 37 from 26. So significant drop off there. You'd really be looking at, as things currently stand, Derby, Bolton, Oxford, Barnsley and Stevenage as the promotion like uh, playoff likely teams. Um, four point gap to Blackpool. Plus they've played more games than all bar Portsmouth. So that's tough for them. Then a five point gap then from them to Northampton. So it does look like that seven might break away. Um, Leighton Orient, 35 from 26. Bristol Rovers, 34 from 25. Lincoln City, 33 from 27. Charlton, 30 from 26. Wickham, 30 from 26. Port Vale, 30 from 25. Cambridge, 30 from 25. Shrewsbury, 30 from 27. Uh, rare to see five teams on the same amount of points this far into the season. Uh, Wigan, 28 points from 26 games. Burton Albion, 28 from 27. Exeter City, 26 from 26. Reading, 23 from 25. Now, Reading have had points deducted. Um, four points deducted, but still points deducted. And uh, could well go down because Reading in 21st is the first of the relegation spots. Then it's Cheltenham, uh, 23 from 25. Carlisle, 20 from 27. And Fleetwood Town, 18 from 26. Portsmouth, Derby, Bolton, Barnsley, Blackpool, Charlton, Wigan, and Reading. They've all been Premier League teams. They've all been Premier League teams. So it does just show how far teams can drop when they get out of the Premier League if they're badly owned and badly run. And if you look at those clubs there, Pompey were disgracefully run for years. So were Derby. So were Bolton. I'm not overly familiar with the ownership situation at Barnsley, so I can't comment. But Blackpool were terribly run as well. Charlton were terribly run. Wigan were disgracefully run. And Reading are currently the worst run club in the country. They're the worst owner in the entirety of the English football pyramid. It's an absolute disgrace what that man has done to that club. Um, Let's check in on League Two. Most recent matches, Doncaster nil, Newport 1. Tranmere 1, MK Dons 2, Stockport 3, Walsall 1, Morecambe 1, Mansfield Town 1, Sutton 2, Barrow 2, Grimsby 5, Notts County 5. That is lunacy of the highest order. So... Danny Rose, not not that Danny Rose, a different Danny Rose. He opened the scoring for Grimsby. Then they went 2-0 up through Issa. 
Then David McGoldrick pulled one back for Notts County. Then Macaulay Langstaff made it 2-2. That was half time. We come out in the second half. 3-2 to Grimsby through Harry Clifton. Aaron Neiman equalises, 3-3. Issa scores again, 4-3. Neiman scores again, 4-4. 90 minutes, 4-4. 92 minutes, McGoldrick scores and puts Notts County 5-4 up. And then 95 minutes, Harry Wood equalises to get Grimsby a share of the spoils. What a mental game. I must find that and watch it. It has to be, it has to be chaos. Um, Forest Green, nil. Harrogate, two. And if you haven't heard, the weirdest, most unexplainable, inexpl- inexplainable, inexplicable, I don't know, whatever the word is, post-match interview given by a manager. Go and find what Troy Deeney said about his players. Troy Deeney, Forest Green Rovers manager. Go and find that. It is, it's incredible. I've never heard anything like it from a manager straight after a game. Uh, Crawley Town nil, Salford City 1, Colchester 1, Bradford City 1, Wrexham 2, AFC Wimbledon nil. Crew Alexandra 2, Swindon Town 1, Accrington Stanley 1, Gillingham 2. Uh, there was meant to be, I think, a game tonight. I think it was meant to be Mansfield and Forest Green, and I believe it has been postponed. Uh, Stockport are top of the league. They currently sit a, on 54 points in 27 games. Then it's Wrexham, 52 from 26. What a what a masterful season as a newly promoted to the, to, to the division team. Mansfield, 50 points from 26. Barrow, 49 from 27. Crewe, 47 from 27. Notts County, 43 from 27. Also newly promoted, having a great season. MK Dons, 42 from 25. Gillingham, 41 from 26. Harrogate, 40 from 27. AFC Wimbledon, 39 from 26. Really want AFC Wimbledon to finish above MK Dons. Crawley, 39 from 27. Aki Stanley, 38 from 27. Accrington Stanley might be the most famous football club that's never really done anything purely because of that milk ad. And if you don't know the milk ad, just Google Accrington Stanley milk ad. Um, Walsall, 36 from 26. Bradford City, 35 from 27. Swindon, 34 from 28. Morecambe, 34 from 25. Newport County, 34 from 27. Tranmere, 33 from 28. Grimsby Town, 28 from 27. Doncaster, 28 from 27. Salford City, 
27 from 27. How's the sports washing and the financial doping going, Gary? I'd say Gary Neville is having the worst year of his life. United are dreadful and Salford are also awful. And Wrexham, who are basically doing the same thing that Salford did, are flying. Absolutely flying. Uh, Colchester, 25 points from 28 games. Sutton United, 19 from 26 games. And Forest Green Rovers, 18 from 26 games. Um, Quite the achievement from Forest Green Rovers. In their last 72 games of football, last season and this season, they've taken 45 points. (laughs) That's atrocious. Oh, dear. Um, League two teams that have been in the Premier League. Uh, AFC Wimbledon, MK Dons. I mean, MK Dons is the old Wimbledon. That's the club they got bought and then rebranded. AFC Wimbledon is the Phoenix club. The history belongs to AFC Wimbledon, though. And that's the real heart of Wimbledon. They're back at Plough Lane, which was their stadium in the 80s, before they were forced to go and play at Selhurst Park. Um, So AFC Wimbledon, we're counting them, not MK Dons. Uh, Bradford City were in the Premier League. Swindon Town were in the Premier League. And that's it. That's it. Uh, Let's check in then on the National League. Most recent game was Eastleigh South End, which was on the 13th. Uh, prior to that, we had Chesterfield Gateshead. A uh, bunch of games being postponed. The bad weather, not a not a league with a lot of underground heating or under under pitch heating. Um, five, four of the five games, sorry, five of the six games for tonight have been postponed. Uh, but Chesterfield are playing Altrincham if you're in the area. Um, Chesterfield are top. And, and nine points clear, so with two games in hand. So Chesterfield running away with the National League at the moment for 65 points from 26 games. Nine points back is Bromley. Then a further point back is Barnet. Then a nine-point gap to Solihull Moors. Then Altrincham, Oldham, Rochdale, Gateshead, Halifax Town, Aldershot Town, Eastleigh, South End, Wheelstone, Maidenhead, Borehamwood, Hartlepool, Dagenham and Redbridge, or the mighty Dagenham and Redbridge, as they used to be known, York City, Dorking Wanderers, Woking, Ebbsfleet United, which I just think sounds like a, a car rental company, uh, Field, Oxford City, and Kidderminster Harriers. Um, Oldham are the only team there that have been in the top flight in recent years, but I think they did they get relegated before the Premier League? Were they in the early the first season? They might have been in the first season of the Premier League. But they definitely got relegated. They were they were in the first two seasons of the Premier League and then they got relegated. 
Yeah, they got relegated. So, to be fair, they had mostly been a lower league team. It was quite the achievement for them to get into the top flight. Um, plenty of ex-Everton heads there at the time, including like of Graham Sharp. Um, yeah, they lasted two seasons, got relegated. Three seasons in what we now call the championship got relegated. And it from there, it has just been one disaster after another. Uh, terrible ownership. A lot of bad luck. Finances just absolutely all over the place. Yeah. Not a good tale. Um, yeah, Joe Royal, who would later go on to manage Everton. Um, he was there from 82 to 94 and was basically responsible for everything good that happened at that club for a number of years because they'd just been sort of drifting for a long time you know they'd been uh, they'd been in the top flight way way back in the 1910s and 20s got relegated got relegated again got promoted got relegated got relegated again got promoted got relegated, got promoted, and then sort of drifted along. Then they got promoted into what we now call the championship, but they were a nothing club in the championship till Joe Royal took over. And he just very slowly and cautiously built them into a a good team. And he found found good value players all over the place, uh, including Mickey Quinn. Like I said, Graham Sharp went there towards the end of his career. Uh, Andy Ritchie was there. He was a good player. Yeah, there's a good book actually on Joe Royal's time at Oldham, but I can't think what it's called. Um, yeah, so that's where we stand. Chesterfield looking good odds for promotion. And just in case you were curious, in the National League North, Tamworth are top, uh, eight points clear of Scunthorpe. Um, No former Premier League teams involved in the National League North. I don't think any of them have dropped that far. And then National League South, Yeovil Town, who not that long ago, if I'm not mistaken, were in League One. Let's have a look. Uh, They're top of National League South. And... Again, nobody nobody there has played. <laughs> A couple of notable clubs, though. Uh, Torquay United. Um, haven't, haven't and Waterlooville, who once gave Liverpool everything they could handle. Uh, Roy, I should point out Roy Hodgson's Liverpool, everything they could handle in, a, uh, in an FA Cup game. Um, that was one of, the, one of the lowlights in the history of the, um, of the club. Uh, they, sorry, I was. They were in the championship, Yeovil, in two thousand and thirteen, fourteen. They were in the championship. Then they got relegated back into League One, straight into League Two. Stayed in League Two for a while. Got dumped out of the football league in eighteen nineteen, and have been relegated since. 
that's a that's a tough ten years to swallow. You get the promotion at the end of twelve thirteen, then you get relegated from the championship to League One to League Two to the National League four relegations in the last ten years, and all of a sudden you're you're not just a non-league team, but you're you're a part-time team now, like. That's a part-time football club now. It can't be a professional club. They might be paying, you know, they might style themselves as a professional club, but I guarantee all the lads playing there have jobs or the majority of those players have normal jobs. That's very, very tough. Very, very tough to take. Um... Since we're doing, since we talked a, well, a little bit about um, Forest Green, we should probably check in on Big Duncan Ferguson, see how the legend himself is getting on. Um, beaten by Dundee United at the weekend, but they did beat Air. 3-1 in the previous game. But it is only one win from the last six, seven. One win from the last seven for Big Dunk. Uh, after a good start, it, it appears like he might be reverting to the, the Big Dunk norm of not being very good at the managing. Uh, the updated win percentage, um, 20.51%. He has won six of his 16 games in charge there with five draws and five defeats. But as I look at it, when did he take over? The 26th of September. So let's work our way back. Wins his first game against Arbroath. Draws with Partick Thistle. Beats Erdrionians. A draw with Dundee United. Then he beats Inverness. So he goes six games unbeaten. He's selling them the dream. Seven games unbeaten as they beat Cowdenbeath. Uh, then Mighty Wraith Rovers beat them. Then they beat Queen's Park. So between him taking over and the 9th of December when they beat Queen's Park, that's where he gets his... Five of his wins. But since then, it's gotten a little bit ugly. Lost to Grenick Morton. Lost to Arbroath. Drew at Partick Thistle. Drew at Grenick Morton. Lost to Airdrieonians. Did beat Air. And then lost to Dundee United. So one win in his last seven games. Uh, but, you know, there are two draws in there. But it, it's it's turning around. We're getting the outcome we expected, which is Big Dunk not being very good at the management. Uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll do AFCON. We'll do the Asian Cup. See you soon. That, there were words there. I promised there were words there. and They were see you soon. Jesus wept. Right. Welcome back. So uh, AFCON is underway. And in Group A, Ivory Coast beat Guinea-Bissau 2-0. 
Seiko Fafana and Crassel with the goals there. Nigeria with a 1-1 draw with Equatorial Guinea, which is obviously a disappointing result for Nigeria. They went 1-0 down. Salvador put Equatorial Guinea in front. Victor Osman getting the equaliser. The next games in Group A will be played on the 18th, which is Thursday. In Group B, Egypt and Mozambique through 2-2. Egypt went one up through Mustafa Mohamed, then fell 2-1 behind with Witty and Clesio scoring the goals for Mozambique. Salah equalised with a last-minute penalty, and Egypt get the draw. Cape Verde beat Ghana 2-1 in what's probably the biggest shock so far. Uh, Montero put them one up. Jiku equalised, and then Gary Rodriguez scored a late winner to give Cape Verde a surprise win. Um, group though, the next round of games there are also at the, the 18th and 19th, so Thursday, Friday. Um, group C Senegal beat Gambia 3 0. Uh, Pape Guy and Lamine Kamara with the goals there. I did say Lamine Kamara was one to watch, he got two goals in that game. Cameroon and Guinea played at a 1 1 draw. Bio put Cameroon one up. Sorry, put Guinea one up and um, Frank Magri of Toulouse, who played against Liverpool this year, uh, he put Cameroon level and it ended in a draw. Next games there are Friday. Group D, Algeria won, Angola won, and Burkina Faso won, Mauritania nil. Uh, Bertrand Traore with the only goal in that one. So next games will be played on Saturday. In Group E, uh, Burkina Faso, that game was actually earlier today. In Group E, those games, the, the, the two first two games are today. One of them is actually being played as we speak. Tunisia versus Namibia and Mali play South Africa tonight. And then their next games are Saturday, Sunday. And tomorrow we get the first games from Group F, Morocco against Tanzania and the Democratic Republic of Congo taking on Zambia. And the next games in that group will be Sunday. So no point looking at the tables at the moment. It's only one game. Anything can happen, but it's off and running. We've had some upsets. We've had some wins we would have expected. And there's been some good football played. Um, AFCON is always enjoyable. Mental at times, but always enjoyable. In the Asian Cup in Group A, Qatar beat Lebanon 3-0. And China and Tajikistan played out a 1-1 draw. The next round of games in that group, Lebanon versus China and Tajikistan versus Qatar, there tomorrow. Group B, Australia beat India 2-0. Uzbekistan and Syria played out a 0-0 draw. Next round are Thursday, Syria versus Australia, India versus Uzbekistan. In Group C, the UAE beat Hong Kong 3-1 and Iran beat Palestine 4-1. Next games will be Palestine versus UAE and Hong Kong versus Iran. They are Thursday, Friday. Group D, Japan beat Vietnam 2-0. They were 2-1 down, came back and ended up winning the game quite comfortably. And Iraq beat Indonesia 3-1. 
Iraq versus Japan is next. That should be a good game. That's Friday. Also Friday, Vietnam versus Indonesia. In Group E, South Korea beat Beiran 3-1 and Jordan beat Malaysia 4-0. Jordan against South Korea on Saturday and Beiran, Malaysia also Saturday. And then in Group F, <coughs> we have Thailand beating Kyrgyzstan and to be played today, Saudi Arabia versus Oman. Um, I think that game kicks off in like an hour. Then the next round of games for that one will be Sunday, Oman, Thailand, Kyrgyzstan against Saudi. Uh, you would expect the Saudis to win both of those games. You'd expect them to top the group and advance quite comfortably. So there we go. Oh, I didn't I didn't mention what the next games in the AFCON are going to be. I just said what day they were on. So let me rectify that very quickly. So in Group A, Equatorial Guinea against Guinea-Bissau. And Ivory Coast versus Nigeria, which I think is going to be one of the must-watch games of the tournament. That is Thursday. Um, I believe it's a 5 p.m. kickoff. Then in Group B, Egypt play Ghana, which again should be a good game. And Cape Verde take on Mozambique. In Group C, it's Senegal, Cameroon, which should be a good one. And Guinea versus Gambia, which I do think will be fun as well. Group D, Algeria, Burkina Faso. That one should be good. And Mauritania versus Angola. Then in Group E, Tunisia versus Mali. I think that's one of the really exciting games of the tournament. And South Africa and Namibia, which is a rivalry in some sports. And then I don't know about other sports. It doesn't seem to be, but should certainly be a, an interesting one. And Group F, Morocco against the Democratic Republic of Congo and Zambia against Tanzania. So that is basically where we stand with AFCON thus far. Your top scorer in the AFCON is Lamine Kamara. He's got two goals. And in the Asian Cup, Taki Minaminu, Mahmoud El Mardi of Jordan, Musa El Tamari of Jordan, Akram Afif of Qatar, Lee Kang-in of South Korea, and Supachai Chadid of Thailand. They all have two goals there. I really do think Lamine Kamara has the potential to be a very, very special player. He's only 20. He is so, so good. I think he improves any team he goes to. Genuinely, I think he improves any team he goes to. Mets have done really well with the African market in recent years. Obviously, Papi Matar Sar, currently at Spurs, came through at Mets. Um, they signed him from Generation Foot in Senegal. He's been brilliant for Spurs this year. Um, they also had Bubakar Traore of Wolves. <clears throat> he was there as well. Uh, they brought him from AS de, de B 
Bamakel, A.S. de Bamakel in Mali. And I, I think he's been really good for Wolves. Gary O'Neill is not playing him enough, in my opinion. I think he should be starting every game for Wolves, but I do understand why he's not. He's had some injury problems. They do also have a good group of central midfielders. Joe Gomes, Tommy Doyle, and they need minutes as well. And of course, the first name sort of on the team sheet for Wolves, I would imagine right now, is Mario Lamina, who's been excellent this season and he's vital to how they play. So it's just a little bit unfortunate for Traore, but Lamine Camaro will be the next one out of Mets to go somewhere big. And it's worth always just checking in on Generation Foot in in Dakar. Just checking in on who they've got in their squad because chances are a name you see there will become a big name within, not, not like a star, but a big name as in a player the top clubs are chasing within sort of three years of you seeing the name there. They're not quite at the level of right to dream, but they don't have the same type of backing as right to dream. But what right to dream are doing is, is just incredible. What, what generation foot are doing is great as well. And they really have produced a lot of talent over the years. Czech Gaye came from there. Babacar Gaye. Papi Cisse. Obviously very good player. Sadio Mane. Ishmael Assar. They are obviously focused primarily on Senegalese players and helping them find a pathway to Europe. Whereas we're right to dream even though they're based in Ghana, they do have a slightly wider uh, net that they cast. But if you look at who's come through right to dream, I mean, Ernest Nuama, currently looking like the next big thing for Leon. Mohamed Kudus, been outstanding for West Ham. Kamaldine Suleimana, who I still have huge faith in. Simon Adingra, who's Ivorian, not Ghanaian. He came through there as well. And there's a few others in that have been through their books that really, really have a chance of becoming top, top players. And what the people behind Right to Dream have done, Tom, Fern- Tom Vernon and others, it is so impressive. It really is so impressive. And they've got the right backing behind them the right financial people behind them. The Mansour group came in, put a huge amount of money in. So they've expanded into Egypt. They've bought a club in Egypt to go with Nordlesjand in Denmark. They're also uh, going to be involved with the MLS team in San Diego. They're going to have So that's a huge win for San Diego FC. They might have that pathway to all of that African talent. So we might see a lot of 
the best young Africans, <coughs> excuse me, the best young African players actually making their names in MLS before coming to the major clubs in Europe. Now, Right to Dream will still want Nordlesian to get their fair share. And I think the club in Egypt will have to get their fair share. But they're expanding operations all over, uh, or the plan seems to be to expand all over uh, Africa and really start to dig in and find the best players from every African country and give them the best possible chance at making it to the highest level of the game, which can only be a good thing. It really can only be a good thing. Like when you think about it, African football is still really in its infancy because up to and including Cameroon in 1990, an African team at the World Cup doing anything of note was almost an oddity. It, It really was when Nigeria... That Super Eagles team with JJ Kocha and Sunday Olise and Noanku Kanu, when that group emerged, that was really the beginning of the rise of African football. And it's obviously been a slow burn. There's been ups and downs. But we saw George Weah win the Ballon d'Or around the same time as that Nigerian team kind of came into focus. Since then, we've had a World Cup in Africa. I would imagine we will have another one in Africa, probably 2040, maybe. Would it be 2040? 2042. What way are the World Cups? So we've got 2026 is obviously USA... Uh, Mexico and Canada. 2030 has been announced. You'd think I'd pay attention. Twenty thirty will be held in Morocco, Portugal, and Spain with games being played in Argentina, Paraguay, and Uruguay, which to me is just a nonsense. Just give them their own World Cup. Uh, 2034 will be in Saudi because, you know, uh, Infantino, despite his claims that he is not corrupt, is as corrupt as any and all that came before him. So 2038, I would expect to be in... I would expect it to be in Europe, but maybe not. Maybe not. But I think 2038 or 2042, which is a fucking long way away, I accept, I think we'll get another African World Cup. Now, that will be 28, 32 years since the World Cup in South Africa, which is too long for that continent to be waiting. But it wouldn't surprise me if if we got another World Cup there in in one of those years. Egypt, potential host for certain. Um, Now, obviously, look, Morocco hosting part of 2030 is is a big deal. 
But I, I'm not counting that as an African World Cup because it's the majority of games are going to be played in Europe. Uh, when we look at the stadiums, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. 14 stadiums put forward by um by Spain you've got 1 2 3 only 3 put forward by Portugal and 6 put forward by Morocco I don't know how many of them are going to get the go ahead I don't know how many stadiums we'll actually have but we will have 48 teams by that world cup so it might be all of them There'll probably be more games played in that in Morocco than in Portugal. But I would guess Portugal will get one of the semi-finals. Spain will get the final and one of the semi-finals. My guess is the Bernabeu and the Estadio de Luis, de Luis get the semi-finals. Oh, the Camp, Camp Nou and the De Luz get the semi-finals and the Bernabeu gets the final. Yeah, that's that's most likely. So Barcelona and Benfica's ground get the semis and then the Bernabeu gets the final. So I would say at best, um, Morocco might get a quarterfinal, although they are planning to build an enormous stadium, aren't they? Like an absolute monster, 100 plus thousand. So maybe they get a semi. If they do that, they they should get a semi, but we'll see. As things stand, I would bet they top out with two of the quarterfinals and Portugal gets one and Spain gets one. Eh, we can wait and see. Right, back after the break. Right, welcome back. So, big bit of news today from Italy. You've probably already heard. Jose Mourinho sacked by AS Roma. Now, we will talk more about this tomorrow when we take some time around Europe. Uh, he is being replaced by Daniele De Rossi. Um, I, I don't really know what to make of the De Rossi hiring. His managerial career to date, uh, shall we say, less than stellar. Uh, he's had one job at Spall, and he was sacked after, I think, 17 games. Uh, now, it is only a contract till the end of the season, so it might just be more of a caretaker gig than anything else. Maybe a kind of a prove-it gig. If you do well, we'll keep you on. If not, then, you know, no harm, no foul. I assume the reason they've gone with him is because... Mourinho was hugely popular with the Roma fans. And the only people more popular right now with Roma fans would be De Rossi or Francesco Totti. So Totti's not going to take it. So De Rossi is the one that makes sense. Yeah, De Rossi managed 17 games with Spall last season and won three of them. 
losing uh, eight, drawing six, making Duncan Ferguson look like a halfway decent manager. So hopefully he does much better here because those of you who know, I love Daniele De Rossi as a player, one of my all-time favourite players. Um, but I <laughs> didn't, didn't do very well at Spall. Anyway, <clears throat> more on Jose tomorrow and maybe a bit of why he got sacked. We'll have a look and see. We'll have a dig into Roma. There's obviously a lot of talk today about it, so it'll be covered in depth elsewhere as well. Uh, In more depth, I should say. Much more depth elsewhere. Uh, Crystal Palace manager Roy Hodgson is keen on a loan move for Calvin Phillips from Manchester City. That does make sense. That does make sense because they lost Cech de Cure for the season with the torn Achilles so to get Phillips in on loan, where he would play regularly, and get himself potentially ready for the European Championships, that definitely could work for everybody. And then in the summer, he can find uh, a a permanent fit. Um, a date has finally been set. Been set for the hearing into Manchester City's alleged breaches of financial rules. But speaking in front of MPs, Richard Masters, the chief executive, said he could not reveal the date as yet. Interesting. Interesting. Um, I mean, look, the reason why the City one is taking longer is because it's far more complex and will take much longer to decide, to present, to argue, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Everton, their case was, you know, open and shut. They breached the financial fair play rules. It's a simple 10-point deduction. They've done it again, probably another 10-point deduction. Uh, Nottingham Forest, probably a 10-point deduction. As I said yesterday, I think the Forest one is unfair, but it is what it is. Uh, England manager, Serena Weigman. Weigman? Weigman? Wiegman, Wiegman, Weigman, I think, extends her deal until 2027. She said she has unfinished business and wants to stay on. Obviously won the Euros with England, got to the World Cup final loss. I think she wants now to go and win the World Cup next time out. Nuno Espirito Santo says he is focused on his team and not their potential financial fair play punishment. Rangers and Celtic are having initial discussions aimed at ending an impasse over the old firm away allocations. The last two games between the sides have been played with no away fans and the SPFL have been encouraging both clubs to settle the issue. Rangers cut Celtic's allocation in 2018 due to greater demands demands for tickets after Steven Gerrard's arrival. Uh, since then, both clubs have regularly allocated about 750 away tickets. Rangers and Celtic have both turned down the offer of away tickets during that period, citing concerns over safety and security. If an agreement is reached, it is unlikely the allocations would return to pre-2018 levels when up to 8,000 away fans attended the fixtures. Uh, SPFL rules say clubs make must make provisions for a reasonable number of visiting fans. 
Celtics say they want to address reasonable allocations after Rangers expressed extreme disappointment at having no supporters at Celtic Park for the most recent games. Celtic refused to give them an allocation. Oh, Celtic turned down an allocation of 700 tickets for the game at Ibrox. Because 700 Celtic fans walking into Ibrox is 700 Celtic fans walking out getting a thump in the head. And vice versa. Like, vice versa. If 700 Rangers fans parked up at Celtic Park, they would all leave with a dig in the head. And you're just asking for trouble. You are asking for trouble with that small an allocation. In the FIFA Best Awards, uh, Eitani Bonmati was named Player of the Year. Serena Weigman was voted Best Coach and Mary Earp's Best Goalkeeper uh, on the women's side of the draw. Uh, Linda Caicedo of Colombia and Real Madrid and Jenny Hermoso of Spain finished out the top three for Women's Best Player. Uh, Mackenzie Arnold of West Ham and Catalina Cole of Barcelona finished out the top three for uh, women's best goalkeeper. Mackenzie Arnold, for those who don't know, is Australia's national goalkeeper as well. On the men's side, Lionel Messi was voted the men's best player. Pep Guardiola claimed the men's coaches probably was always going to happen. He won a travel. It was always going to happen. Um... Erling Haaland finished second to Messi and Kylian Mbappe was third. For the best goalkeeper, it went to Ederson with Thibaut Courtois and Yassine Bono in the top three. I don't know how Thibaut Courtois was second. Firstly, he hasn't played all season. So it's based on half a season for him. A half season on which he wasn't one of the six or seven best goalkeepers in the world. Like, at no point in the last 12 months has Ederson been one of the five best goalkeepers in Europe. So, I mean, it's a bit of a farce. It really is. It really is. And Bono, I mean, I know Sevilla won the Europa League, but he was garbage in the league for them. And now he's off playing in Saudi. So I really don't understand how he could be in the top three either. That top three of goalkeepers is is genu- generally a farce, or genuinely a farce. Bono's votes likely come off the back of the World Cup. But how does Emmy Martinez not get in the top three? He won the World Cup, and then he's been brilliant for Villa for the entire 12 months. How does he not get in the top three? Alison Becker has been incredible all calendar year. How's he not in the top three? Marco-Andre Ter Stegen was phenomenal last season. Not quite as good this season, but still very good. Certainly better than Thibaut Courtois sitting at home with a torn ACL. Madness. Absolute madness. Um, these votes are done weird. Like, there's a whole bunch of people get votes, fans who generally shouldn't be allowed to vote on anything important, journalists, and then national team managers and captains. So, Messi and Haaland actually finished on the same number of points. Messi won the award because he had the more 
first place nominations from national team captains. Uh, Harry Kane, Kylian Mbappe, Mohamed Salah, Andy Robertson, Aaron Ramsey and Luka Modric all voted for um, Messi. Ilke Gundogan, Casemiro and Messi voted for Haaland. Gareth Southgate voted for Haaland, while Robert Page and Steve Clark voted for Messi. Uh, Montserrat skipper Lyle Taylor voted for Declan Rice. Declan Rice was who he decided was the best player in the world over the last 12 months. What an idiot. He shouldn't have a vote. Uh, Russian captain Georgie... I don't know how to say that name. He voted for uh, Kvitsa Kvalachkelia. Roberto Mancini voted for Marcelo Brozovic. I mean, these people shouldn't have votes. They really shouldn't have votes. Luciano Spalletti finished second in the coach of the year. Simone Inzaghi finished third. Um, There were six... City players named in the men's team of the year. John Stones, who has barely played this season, had three good months playing in midfield. Kyle Walker has been garbage this season. And Ruben Diaz, who hasn't really been great this year either. Bernardo Silva, Kevin De Bruyne hasn't kicked the ball this season. And Erling Haaland. Jesus Christ. Courtois, men's team of the year, Thibaut Courtois, hasn't played half the year. John Stones, laughable. Kyle Walker, laughable. Ruben Diaz, laughable. Bernardo Silva appears to have been picked in defence, but never mind. No issue with him being picked. None. He's brilliant. Jude Bellingham, I mean, it's, it's entirely based on what he's done at Real. It's entirely recency bias, which is hilarious considering Stones, Walker and Courtois have been garbage or not playing this season. KDB, no issue. Haaland, no issue. Mbappe, no issue. Messi, no issue. Vinicius, no issue. But the issue I have is that we have a front four One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Three defenders. Three, yeah, so we've we've got a three-three-four. So not even an actual footballing formation. It's nonsense. Um Julio is Enciso, who was reportedly to win the Puskas Award. Ended up not winning it. Now, I don't think his goal warranted winning it anyway. Um, but Guilherme Madruga, who plays for Botafogo, he won it after a 25-yard overhead kick. What you said in response, Hannah, how i take Haaland over Messi right now any day. Hannah, Football is not for you. GK, not a City fan by any means, but Haaland has been robbed there. How can you give the award to someone scoring goals in the MLS 
over someone scoring goals against the best players in the world to win the treble. <clears throat> Lord, Lord, Lord. Andy, the awards had gone so well and have now lost all credibility. The continued obsession with Messi has now become embarrassing. Haaland's season will probably never be beaten. Messi has five seasons easily better than that Haaland season. Uh, Carol from South Africa said Lionel Messi is Thanos. He is inevitable. And Ryan said, like he does on the pitch, Messi has come out of nowhere, the best sportsman of all time. I wouldn't, I wouldn't agree on that, but yeah, I mean, Lionel Messi's been the best player in the world. I mean, if it was down to non-Messi, then Haaland might have a case as having had the best year. But he certainly hasn't been the best player. Like, he wasn't even City's best player. He just scored the most goals. You know? Let's do the gossip and be done. Newcastle have called off their pursuit of of Calvin Phillips because of Manchester City's demands for a loan fee. Uh, Crystal Palace, Everton, West Ham and Juventus are all interested in Phillips. Paris Saint-Germain are considering a move for Bruno Gomeris, who has a 100 million release clause. Sir Jim Ratcliffe wants to sign a top-class centre-forward who is at a similar level to Harry Kane. So that's nobody. Because there's nobody on Kane's level. He's the best nine in the world. So similar level, Osman, Haaland. After that, I'm struggling. I really am struggling. They're not getting any of those players. They're not getting a top striker. They're just not. Um, Manchester United have discussed the possibility of bidding for Aaron Wan-Bissaka and would be prepared to let Aaron Wan-Bissaka... Sorry, discuss the possibility of bidding for Michael Elise and would be prepared to let Aaron Wan-Bissaka go in the opposite direction. Or they'd be prepared to let a flop leave the club. That'd be great. Well done. Uh, United have also joined Bayern Munich in the way. You know it's a very quiet January when all the journalists are just linking United to everybody. Um, Matthias De Ligt is not 100% happy at Bayern and could leave the German club in the summer. I suggested him as my signing for United. I still think that it'll work. Portuguese midfielder Renato Sanchez could be on the move this month as PSG do not want him back and Roma want him to find another club. Let's see what, what De Rossi makes of him. Jesse Lingard is open to moving to the MLS with his agents in talks with Portland Timbers. That'd be a good move for him. That'd be a really good move for him. Chelsea could be interested in a short-term loan deal with Aston Villa for John Duran. This Nathan Gissing fella is always telling lies. Always, always, always making stuff up. An absolute spoofer. Chelsea are also keeping an eye on Roberto Firmino and Karim Benzema. One of them you could see happening uh, on loan. 
Chelsea are expected to demand the full 35%, 35 million release clause for any deal involving the permanent transfer of Ian Matson, who is unknown at Borussia Dortmund. Celtic are interested in Queeving Callagher, but could face competition from Brentford, Brighton and Wolves. Brighton bought their long-term keeper last summer in Verbruggen, so they won't want him. Brentford bought a new goalkeeper. I just don't see that they'll buy another one. And unless Jose Sa is leaving Wolves, they won't have a need for a goalkeeper. And Kelleher's a downgrade on for all three clubs. Now, he is better than the guy currently starting for Brighton, Jason Steele, but he's not as good as the guy starting for Brentford and Wolves. Uh, Brentford are looking into a loan move for Sergio Regulon. That would make sense. Newcastle feared Jolington may need surgery on his tie injury, which could rule him out for the rest of the season. That's coming at a very bad time for Newcastle, uh, who are a train wreck, quite frankly, at the moment. Right, folks, I'm going to leave it there. I'll see you all tomorrow. Take care. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.